So, we'll come on to that in a minute, how many laws there are in the Old Testament that were handed down by God to Moses. So, um, talking this morning about Matthew uh, 5, verses 17 to 20, and I've called it the Word on the Word, because uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the broader passage that we're working through at the moment, um, it's where Jesus uh, talks about or addresses the thing, uh, the questions that people have, which is, is he here to sort of like say all of the laws have got to be fulfilled, have got to be done, or is there something revolutionary? Is there something different about what he's saying? So this is, if you like, the last of the preparation passages within the Sermon on the Mount. The first week, the Beatitudes that we looked at in the first part of the um, uh, service, which let everyone know that they're able to be part of God's plan, whatever is going on for them, whatever their circumstance, whatever their situation. So I'm coming back. I'm just opening the door because it's... it's Ridiculously warm today, isn't it? It feels like it should be cooler, but it's not. Um, So whatever the circumstance, whatever the background, you're welcome. That's what Jesus was saying in the Beatitudes, that you will be blessed. Um, Then last week, uh, I spoke on uh, salt and light, which was where Jesus put everyone on notice that if you're going to choose into following Jesus, there's a responsibility that comes with that that you're required to live it out in a way that affects the communities in which you're based, whether that's your families, whether it's your workplaces, whether it's your neighbourhoods, wherever you come into contact with people, are you being salt and light to those around, around you? You'll be pleased to know this is the last of three weeks when I'm speaking. You get Jill next week is going to uh, pick up the first of the t- um, times when Jesus starts to give us very particular instances of where that we, li- we start to live that out. Um, and next week is uh, Jesus' School of Anger Management. Um, so uh, that's, that's next week. But this week, um, this is where Jesus is setting out his stall that he came to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets had said. But it would require more than just dogmatic following of rules and regulations. This is about a change of heart and a change of mind. So the passage is, um, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So packed within those four verses, Jesus is addressing the past, the present, and the future. The past as in the law of the prophets, the present as in how are you going to put this into practice, and the future is 
Where are you putting your hope and your trust? What are you aiming for? So a couple of questions that this passage throws up. One is, was Jesus just a really good teacher of the law? Did he just know it inside out? Did he know the law so well that just because of his head knowledge, just because he had learnt it, he could recite it, he, you know, we see in the scriptures that earlier in his life he'd sat in the temple with the teachers and he just absorbed it and just listened to it. Is it did he just win on intellectual argument? So coming back to the question about how many laws are there, are there in the Old Testament? Some answers, some guesses? How many that were handed down by God to Moses? Close. 613. So if you thought it was just the 10, yeah, slightly wider than Mark. But you can see why Jesus got so cross with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because not only did they take those 613, but they then piled conditions on them as well. And you had to pay for the privilege of being signed off as having completed them. The law was a huge thing for the people of that time because it was an industry. It was a a money-making machine for the temples. And Jesus was, he was absolutely livid about it. 248 of those 613 were positive. Love the Lord your God. Honor your parents. Do this, do that. 365 of them were negative. Don't do this, don't do that. Don't wear clothes of the same fiber and all of that sort of stuff. Just as a comparison... I'm glad Ash isn't here because you probably know the answer to this off the top of his head. How many current applicable laws are there in the UK? That they are, they're currently in action. Too many? Any guesses? Not going to take a guess. 1,267. EU laws? somewhere around about 1,600. But those are not all enforced through UK law, much to uh, just to challenge some of the um, political arguments that we hear, shall we say. But Jesus really knew the law. So when he said, not one stroke, and what he was talking about was the smallest character in the um, Hebrew alphabet, um, which is called Yod. And um, Yod is sort of, it's about, it's on a par with an apostrophe. It's that sort of size, but it's a character in its own right. And uh, where it, the sort of influence that it had, although it was small, is that, um, so Abraham and Sarah, Sarah used to be called Sarai, removing that, the Yod in her name made her into Sarah changed her name from Sarai into Sarah. So it has the influence to change the identity. And uh, the, sort of the teachers of the time would say that um, 
when that was removed from her name, it cried out from one generation to another until when um, Joshua was given his name, it's changed from Oshia to Joshua, the Yod was put back in. So again, changed the name, changed the identity of, of someone and was added back. And what Jesus was saying is, don't discard any of the law. I'm not here to abolish it. I'm not here to throw it out. In fact, I'm not even going to take the smallest character and change it. But there is so much more than just that dogmatic, religious rules and regulations stuff that the people around you are trying to, to, tell, to tell you to do. So if he was just simply a good teacher of the law... He would, have, he would have blended into the rabbis. He would have fitted in perfectly because he could recite the law, he could argue on it, he could challenge on it, he could do everything. And probably he would have just sort of faded into insignificance because there were plenty of other people who taught about it each and every day in the temple courts. He might have had a different economic model, you never know, you know, sort of like maybe not charged as much as someone else to get ticked off. But they wouldn't have thought anything else of it or of him if he'd just been a good teacher of the law, if he'd just applied the knowledge that he had. So was he a revolutionary? Was he sort of like saying, you know, don't, don't abolish any of the law, don't take any of it out, but ignore it. Don't, don't worry about it. Was he coming to undermine everything that had gone before and, t- and uh, that had been taught through the law and the prophets? And what Jesus does, and it, this was common of the time of all the teachers of the law, is in each of the bits that follow, about whether it's about anger or divorce, about lust, about um, making your uh, yes be yes and your no be no, you know, all the way through this, uh, this sermon, he starts it off by saying, you have heard it said. So that's the reference back to the law. You've heard it said. This is, in other words, this is very well known to you. This teaching about adultery or about divorce or whatever, this is well known to you. I'm not talking to you about anything that you've not heard before. But it's followed by, I tell you. So what he's saying is, he who have the basis of it, but there is more. There is so much more to that than the, just the rules and regulations. But the difference was that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they used that phrase when they spoke about it. They used it to tighten the control on people. They would say, you've heard it said, don't be angry. And they would add to it, what we mean is, don't, don't even think the worst thing about anybody ever. You have got to be absolutely pure in your thing. Any time that you think anything that's other than good about someone, then you're breaking the law. And you've, you've got to come and pay your monies and do your sacrifices and all of that. What Jesus was doing when he used that phrase was that he pointed to that renewing of the mind and the change of the attitude of the heart that brings freedom and brings release. He's pointing to the covenant relationship between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. And it's a, it's a covenant relationship 
that is built on God's faithfulness, on who God is, on his character, on his love, on his persistence, on his perseverance, on his running after us time and time and time again, is not based on us. It's not based on who we are or what we do. It's a covenant that is governed by love and by grace. It's not governed by law and punishment. So Jesus was, he was being revolutionary, but he was talking about fulfilling the law through living it out, through making that difference to our daily lives and to the lives of those around us. And he talks about the greatest and the least in the laws. That back in, that, in, the, in the passage, he says, whoever um, removes the least of these laws and stops teaching about it or stops people talking about it, that's because the teachers of that time, they had this league of laws. They had the, the greatest law and the least law. Any idea what the greatest law is? If we were on QI, you would get the hooter on that. I don't know if you've seen QI. That's, that's what I thought it was. But in the league of laws that the teachers had come up with, they actually said that it's honour your parents. That was the one that they, that they held more highly. I don't know, I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't manage to dig all the way into it, but I'm going to have to go back and find out why. But in their league of laws... It, it's possibly, I think I've read one bit which said it's possibly because it was a, a basic understanding that you were going to honour God. That was sort of like, that went through everything. But other than that, the greatest thing was to honour your parents. Anyone know what the least law was? Of the 360, uh, 316? 313, thank you. 313. Anyone? Charlie? You might know this one. I'd be surprised if you don't. Really, I really genuinely would be. It's found in Deuteronomy twenty-two six to seven. No, it's not that one. It's no nothing about witches. It says, if you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. Makes sense? You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. Remember that when you're on your bird watching trips. Um, but both, of, both the greatest and the least end with that phrase, so that you may have a long life, so it may go well with you and have a long life. But what Jesus was saying, that God's kingdom brings all of these laws into parity. They're all the same. There's nothing that is more important or least important because when he talks about the greatest, he doesn't, he doesn't um, sort of re- overemphasize it. What he's saying is all of the laws are there to, to bring life in all its fullness. And we see um, that Jesus uses that phrase uh, in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And that's what... Um, that's what he's saying. He's saying that the law is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all of everything. That he was, he, the purpose of him coming, of Emmanuel, was to re-establish the basis of life with God. Yes, the laws are there, but it's, that's not the basis of, of life with God. And that because of him, 
because of what he was going to do, that people could come into direct relationship with their Heavenly Father without having to go through the sacrifices, without having to go through the Pharisees, without having to go through all of the daily rigmarole of, of uh, the temple's rules and regulations. But if he was only a revolutionary, if he'd only said, don't do it like this, do it like, or don't do it like that, do it like this, he would probably have actually been ignored by the Pharisees and the rulers because there were loads of people who were dissatisfied with what was going on. They hated the Romans. They hated the Pharisees. There were loads of people. You saw, like, you walk down the street and everyone said, do it this way, do it this way, get rid of them. They do it for so long and then people will go, well, yeah, it's, you're saying it, but where's the evidence? And so the challenge for Jesus was be, saying the law is the, is the basis, is the starting point, but you need to live a different way and to then do it. And that's what the light stuff is about. So he held both of those things in tension. The law, he showed that he was deeply acquainted with the law, that it, it was woven into his, into his being. But that wasn't where he remained. He also showed that he was walking the talk, to use that modern phrase. But that others could do it too. It wasn't the reserve of him as the son of God that it was possible for everyone to do that. He was confident and certain that the law pointed to God. Nothing in what he said undermined that. But that it was the changing of our hearts and minds by the Spirit spirit that would take us into relationship, full relationship with our Heavenly Father. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is his explanation of how you actually go about it. And it's, he's very clear that it's possible to do it. I was chatting with, with a friend um, the other day, the other week, and he, and he said, isn't it just a sort of like a list of such high ideals that are beyond anyone's realm of possibility of, of living it and uh, my argument or view is I don't think Jesus ever gives us something that is absolutely impossible it might not be easy but it's not impossible and the reason why it's not impossible is because he says I am with you I will help you I will walk with you in it so it's aspirational we aspire to, to be like that, to do those things, to, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. But it's not unobtainable, and nor, and hear this right, nor is, it, um, is there any condemnation when we don't live it out perfectly. One of the things about this, um, about asking people to speak on this passage is a number of people have said, ooh, Oh, I'm not sure about talking about that. I'm not very good at that. Oh, that's a, that's a, I tell you what, every time I stand up and speak, that's what happens. And I think it's, that's the grace of God that he allows us to speak about the things that we are challenged by and that we find difficult. Because it is by his grace, it is by his love that we can live and follow him. Jesus eventually lived out the fullness of the law and prophets through his self-giving love that led him to die on the cross for our sins and his resurrection that won the victory over death. He was the light of the world that wasn't hidden, but it was put on a hill. 
so that all who look to him know where they can head for life. Life eternal, life in all its fullness. So finally, in, this, in the passage, Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that, that would have absolutely upset the teachers of the law. That would have been one of those sort of like kicking the hornet's nest type statements for those who were the teachers of the law. Because what he was saying was... In essence, they hold themselves so highly, and yet it's possible to go higher. He was basically saying, you're not as good as you think you are. That's another football chant that you might hear at a, <laughs> at a ground rather than she's, she's one of our own. But, um, but Jesus did not say at any point that you can only be better than the Pharisees or more righteous than the Pharisees by by keeping the law better than they do, he returns again, and we see it through the, through the different examples that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks, that it's about his grace, his love, his righteousness. That's the higher righteousness that we can get hold of through him and through what he's done. So I'm going to pray to finish. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We worship you because you are the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because you are our righteousness. It is only through you, only through what you have done, only through your love, only through your grace, that we can come into the presence of the Father. And as we recognize that, as we humble ourselves before you, as we come before you and say, Lord, there are so many ways in which we muck up, in which we fall short, we give you praise and glory because you make up the difference every single time. There is no gap that is too wide for you to close. There is no sin that is too great for you to cover. There is no state of mind or heart that you cannot redeem. There is no situation within our lives that cannot be brought to you and brought under your kingship. As we, uh, as we live our lives, as we go about this world, help us, Lord, to be salt and light, that we live in the confident knowledge that we are right with you through what you have done. Help us, Lord, to know that the law is there for a purpose, but it's only truly, fully fulfilled through you, by you, in you, and with you. So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be those who bring your kingdom into the situations in which we live, in which we work, whether that's our families, our houses, 
our neighbourhoods, our workplaces, the places where we shop or the routes on which we travel. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light in the full knowledge that we are right with you by your grace. Ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.